My, my, it's good to see all of you this morning. It's uh, been a while since I've stood here behind this sacred desk to share something of God's Word with you. First, Gideons, thank you for sharing. I remember the Gideon speaker several years ago who shared with us how that they've been handing out those little New Testaments in Africa. And a terrorist was there the day who got a copy of one of them. This was the terrorist's testimony. He would take the paper from the little New Testament, and he couldn't get cigarette paper to roll his tobacco in, so he'd tear out a page and roll it up. As he read the passage, he'd, he'd read it, tear it out, read it, then roll it and smoke it. So he was using his little pages of the New Testament to smoke. He said, I smoke Matthew, I smoke Mark, I smoke Luke, but then I come to John 3, 16, I smoke no more. <laughs> I thought, what a testimony. And all they did was hand out those New Testaments that day, and it changed a man's life and destiny. Thank you. If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. A passage that is perhaps familiar to so, so many of us today. The Apostle Paul writing to a young minister. Today's title. You've heard of the Saturday night specials. Well, today is a Sunday morning special. And, uh, but I'm thankful to stand in for your pastor. I have a great deal of respect for that young man. He's a diligent student of God's Word. He takes it very seriously. Uh, and, uh, and as I think he should. We want to remember him and his children. I think you folks know two of his, little, his two little ones are quite sick. And they were trying to get to the doctor very early this morning as soon as they could. So just want to remember them. You keep him in your prayers as well as the family. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Dale Wallace. I was a pastor here for four years prior to Jacob's coming. And uh, looking back, boy, what a blessing. <laughs> what a blessing Simmons Grove was and is for me. First Timothy and chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1, Apostle Paul writing and speaking says this. The Spirit clearly says... Then in the latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers, remember, he's writing to Timothy, that young minister. Remember, if you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teachings that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. 
For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. It's great to work out, isn't it? But do we spiritually work out? But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is the trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this we labor and strive. That we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all men. And especially of those who believe. May God bless the reading of his word. I read the following article a while back and managed to find it this morning. It reads as follows. Wanted. Senior pastor. Handsome preacher needed to preach 10 minutes each Sunday. He will be working daily from 6 a.m. to midnight, 6 to 7 days a week. The perfect candidate will have a burning desire to work with the youth. And he will spend most of his time with the senior adults. He will smile at all times with a straight face. Because he's to have a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his church. He will condemn sin, but never hurt anyone's feelings. Attendance at all church meetings is required, no exceptions. The perfect candidate will make at least 15 home and hospital visits per day, and will always be in his office and available should an emergency arise. Preference will be given to a younger minister who has at least 20 to 25 years of experience. Some light janitorial duties may be required. A minister. If you were to write a job description for your minister, for your pastor, what would it be? What would it contain? Most of us are familiar with some of the job requirements of a pastor or minister. There's preaching and teaching. There's performing weddings. Leading in the ordinances of the church. Visiting the sick and the unchurched. Counseling, and in some cases, there may be light janitorial duties involved. <laughs> I know because I've done it. I remember that morning when the little boy put too much toilet paper in the restroom. The next thing I know, I'm in there mopping up water. And that's okay. That just goes with the turf, doesn't it? In short, a pastor may wear many hats in a given week. In the passage I've just read to you, the Apostle Paul was writing to a young minister named Timothy. I believe he's encouraging this young pastor to keep the faith, to be diligent and determined in the discharge of his calling and his duties as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here, Paul lays out some of the basic requirements of a good minister. Two simple truths to share with you this morning concerning a good minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number one, he is to warn the flock or congregation in his care. In verses one through five. Even a casual reading of your Bibles reveals that there are people who would mislead and deceive the people of God. Jesus said in Matthew seven fifteen, Watch out. For false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. 
but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Now a wolf doesn't sit down with a knife and a fork and a spoon to have lunch, does he? He grabs the animal by its throat, suffocates it, and then begins to rip it apart. That's the description Jesus is giving us of the false prophet. They're look, not looking out for the interests of the people of God. They're not here to serve God. They're here to get what they can out of God's people and then move on. Jesus tells us to be on guard as God's people. Some of you may remember Matthew chapter 23 where Jesus openly condemns the lifestyle and the teaching of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the ultra-right of the day. There Jesus said of them, and I quote, and he was speaking to the Pharisees, so he condemns them to their face, and he says, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as you are. <laughs> that was not a compliment. Jesus was confronting them. You are godless. False prophets and false leaders. And may I say this morning, sometimes we have to take our stand as a child of God. Mormonism just aren't good people. Yes, they may be. But that doesn't make them a child of God. If you know their doctrine, you know better. Those two boys riding their bikes are peddlers of deception, no pun intended. And the same goes for the Jehovah's Witness, who believe Jesus is simply a part of the created order. And not the Son of God, not the very Son of God, not God of God as we believe and know what the New Testament teaches us. Acts 20. Paul was about to leave Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem. He tells those early Christians, in all likelihood this will be his last visit there to Ephesus. And that his time with them, he did not fail to proclaim unto them all the counsel of God. Let me turn there. Acts. In chapter 20. I'm going to begin reading in verse 28. Keep watch. Over yourselves. And all the flock. Of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That is a part. Of the responsibility of the man you have called here to stand in the pulpit. Agreed? He is your overseer. Spiritual insight, doctrine, teaching. God has called him here. Set him apart. To proclaim the counsel of God to you. Be shepherds of the church of God. Which he bought with his own blood. Do you see that? Whose blood was it? Be shepherds of the church of God. Which he bought with his own blood. The blood that flowed in Christ. Royal blood. Sinless blood. That's why he was able to be the perfect sacrifice. I know. That after I leave. Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. 
You think you said be on guard? Anybody remembers the three musketeers? On guard! <laughs> boy, I grew up with that as a little boy. I often think of that as I read this passage. Be ready to take your stand. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort their truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Oh my, what a tragedy. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Yes. Even in the early church there were false prophets and false teachers. Anybody remember the Gnostics that John dealt with? That is why Paul warned Timothy and he's warning us today. He said again, the spirit sees, says rather than in the latter days, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings came from through hypocritical liars whose conscience have been seared as with a hot iron. Paul tells them, and he tells us, there are those who will abandon the faith because of demonic influences. You see, not everybody sitting in the church pew is saved. That may shock some of you. Baptism won't save you. Amen? Church membership won't save you. The only thing that I know will save your soul and deliver you from the penalty of sin is Jesus Christ and you personally one-on-one -on -one receiving Him as your Lord and Savior. There is no other alternative. And that's what our New Testament teaches us. Their hearts and minds have been seared as with a hot iron. That is, they have no moral compass. Their sense of right and wrong has been deadened. That part of them that had the capacity for spiritual truth is dead. You know, have, you ever, have you ever put your hand on a stove eye? Accidentally, of course. Have you ever seen folks brand cattle? It leaves a mark, doesn't it? Beware of the spiritual poison they, that is the false prophets, are offering to you, your children, your grandchildren, fellow Christians, your church. There are people out there who would poison the doctrine of Simmons Grove Baptist Church. Did you know that? And it's up to the leadership to guard. It's up to the leadership. It's up to you to guard the truths that are found in Scripture. You see, it's not always those young men on bikes. It's not always that person who's handing you a watchtower. Sometimes it's seminary professors. Sometimes it's the educated elite. And we're to be on our guard constantly. Constant vigilance is required to guard the truths that we hold dear found in this book we call the Bible. The Muslims refer to us as Christians as people of the book. Well, are we? I ask you, are we? Do we know it? Last year, 
An Illinois scientist named William Walsh studied strands of hair from the body of the famous classical composer Beethoven. By studying those strands of hair, Dr. Walsh discovered Beethoven's body had 100 times the normal amount of lead. He concluded that Beethoven's untimely death at the age of 57 was due to lead poisoning. His lead poisoning came to be, came to be traced to a mineral, mineral spa Beethoven went to in order to relax. The very thing he thought was giving him relief and re relaxation was slowly poisoning him to death. False teaching is like that in so many ways. As people engage in it, they get deeper and deeper into it. It kills them spiritually and eventually sears and scars their very conscience. Paul went on to give two excuse me, brief examples of false teaching of his day. Excuse me. <coughs> One, they forbid people to marry. As you know, this contradicts God's word in the opening chapters of Genesis, does it not? And the sanctioning of marriage from the very lips of Jesus himself. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, each must follow God's will for their life in this matter, doesn't he? And then to abstain from meats. Many of the Jews of Paul's day and many of the cults of Paul's day said you could eat this meat and not this meat. You do this and you don't do that. And Paul tells us here that such teachings are not true. We can marry. And I don't know about you, but we can still eat pork. I, I like a good pork chop. How about you? There is not a thing in this book we call the Bible that tells me I cannot have a pork chop sandwich. From Mount Airy. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We know the truth. There are no restrictions regarding a marriage that is based on scriptural principles. There is no food that is classified as unclean for us today that I know of. Now I know people have allergies and reactions and all things to sorts of food, but that's another matter and you know it. I, I, I couldn't help but think of it early this morning and after I got to call, and I don't remember what time it was, seven or eight, I don't remember now. And I tried to think of that little boy who sat down to one to table one day and it was a beef stew and he loved beef stew. And then his daddy asked him, said, won't you to ask the blessing? The little boy prayed something like this. I hope I'm close to it. Y'all give him a minute. I had to go back and write it down. He prayed. Some have no meat and cannot eat. Some have meat and will not eat. But we have meat and we can eat and so the Lord be thanked. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, yeah, amen. <laughs> and that's what Paul is teaching us. That's what we find in the New Testament. There are people today who feel anything goes in terms of doctrine or teaching in the Christian church. Did you hear what I said? There are some people who believe anything goes. 
Some feel doctrine is not important. Your Bible speaks of doctrine not merely in terms of it being important, but in terms of it being critical. What I mean by doctrine is teaching. Teaching. Vance Havner. Anybody remember Vance Havner? Baptist leader from, oh, years gone by. He said in a quote, When we have enough room for any and every brand of doctrine, that's too much room. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can the same fountain send forth both bitter, water, and sweet? End quote. If you know your Bibles, and I trust that you do, then you know. Jesus, Paul, and others condemned false teachers and their doctrine. In a way that often sounds unkind, doesn't it? Remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees when I began just a few moments ago? Read Matthew chapter 23 after a while and see what I'm talking about. He spared no quarter. He took them to task. He cut down to the bone and poured salt in it. <laughs> Jesus would not tolerate false teaching. Neither should we. They realize what false teachers are saying and doing is not mere child's play. But rather it can determine one's eternal destiny. Would you agree to that? What a false teacher says. And if a person is listening to it, it can determine one's destiny. I'm talking about heaven or hell. I'm talking about making a difference in eternity, folks. A good minister will stand behind this sacred desk and he will make sure that you understand what false doctrine is and is not. There are religious groups in the world today, as there have been in the past, that teach things that are clearly contrary to God's word. Truly, what you do not know can hurt you. Would you agree? What you don't know can hurt you. If we never take time to labor and study of this book we call the Bible, if it's not an intricate part of our lives, if we don't know what it says and does not say, truly, ignorance can hurt us. But secondly, and by the way, this truck's on the way here, I was trying to remember that passage. Anybody remember Hosea 4, 6? It says, My people perish for lack of knowledge. Go back and read it and study it later. God's people were suffering because they departed from the truths that had been revealed to them through Moses and the prophets and through the Old Testament principles and precepts. But secondly, he is to keep, that is the pastor, the good minister, he is to keep his focus on godly spiritual principles. You'll find that in verses 6 through 10. Note verse 6, and let me get back over there. Yep. If you point out these things, speaking to Timothy, that young minister of gospel, out to the brothers, you will be a Good minister of Jesus Christ. That is, if he warned the flock, right? 
If you warn the flock concerning false teaching, you're going to be a good minister. That means a pastor must take time to study God's word, to pray, to plan, to observe. I hope you grant Jacob time to study the Bible. That you allow him to become a student of God's word. When I was here, you folks expected it of me, didn't you? When I stood in this pulpit each Sunday morning, I stood here and I had prepared most of the week to share what I was going to share with you. That's what a minister, that's one of the things he should do. Today we have so many views and ideas about what a pastor should be or ought to be. On a given day, the pastor may have to wear one, two, three, or more hats in a given congregation, and I have already said that to you. But what is the minister's primary calling? I ask you this morning. If we were one big Sunday school class and we were just able to talk to one another, what would you say this morning is the preacher's primary responsibility as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What would you say? Anybody have an input here? Just respond if you'd like. Off the cuff. Say that again. Anyone else? Yes. This is what I thought of this morning. Right on the same line. And you'll pardon me some. I'm still having a few vision problems, but that's just a part of it. I thought of 2 Timothy. If I can see it, I'll read it. <laughs> I thought of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to this. Paul once again talking to this young minister. And I couldn't help but wonder. You know, we read the text, but what if he were saying it to Timothy? How do you think he would say it? <laughs> Listen to this. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. In the presence of God... And of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. <laughs> That's pretty clear. Even I can understand that as dumb as I am. Even I can grasp this spiritual principle. Preach the word. Some believe it means simply preach Jesus. I believe that too. But I also believe it means preach the principles that are found in God's word. Not only was he looking back to the Old Testament scriptures. He was looking forward to when the New Testament would come together. <laughs> preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. You know what that means? Be ready to preach any moment. I got a call this just a few hours ago to preach. That's okay. I thought of this very same passage. <laughs> my, one of my pastors used to say, we, we ought to be ready to drop the hat. He said, I'll drop the hat. <laughs> but that's what he's saying here. In season, out of season. You be ready to preach at a moment's notice. And sometimes that happens to us as ministers, does it not? 
I remember a seminary professor who looked at this passage one, one day and he says, Preacher boys, he says, you've got to have Jesus on tap. <laughs> you know what that means. Be at any moment. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Oh my. That's a part of the pastor's job too, isn't it? Sometimes we have to lovingly rebuke, do we not? Encourage. Oh yeah, we do that too. With great patience and careful instruction. Oh my. How many of us are really, really patient? <laughs> I don't think that's one of my gifts. How about you? Now listen to this. This is why, ergo, if you will, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Do you see that? Won't put up with it? You think we're living in that day? Some think we are. Some think we're living in the latter days. I'm not sure yet. I just know that we're, we're told to be prepared at any moment. <laughs> That's what I know. For the time will come when men will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Come on, you know what I want to hear. <laughs> you see the metaphor? They will turn their ears away from the truth. Oh, what a tragedy. And they turn their ears Earth, the truth, and turn aside to myths. But, that's setting up a contrast here, isn't he? But, you keep your head in all situations. Was that solid counsel for some of us? No matter what happens, you keep your wits about you. You keep your head. You see, sometimes the desire of the false teacher is to disorient, discombobulate the preacher and the teacher. You keep your focus, Paul is telling Timothy, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. You do what God has called you to do, Timothy. Don't you let anybody keep you from doing what God's called you to do. I've concluded there's no place for a lazy preacher in the ministry. <laughs> I've heard of folks taking, taking, picking the ministry as a profession because they wanted an easy road. They don't know what the ministry is about then. <laughs> Since surrendering to the call, and I worked for combustion engineering for 13 years prior to the ministry. And folks, and I, I did all kinds of things before that, but entering the ministry has been the hardest, the most complicated, the most difficult work, the most challenging work I have ever done in my entire life. Study, visiting, praying, oh my, going out. Believe it or not, I'm trying to close. Just give me a few more minutes and I'll stay with me. 2 Timothy 3.16. You all know it. 
Again, Paul speaking to this young minister. All scripture is is God breathed that is inspired. It could literally be translated. (sighs) All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is why we labor and dig into this book we call the Bible. To put the spade down so that each and every Sunday morning we can turn it over to find that truth that we need for that given week and that given circumstance and that given trial. How many of us truly believe the Bible is God's word to us? How many of us read it? How many of us pick up our Bibles once a week as we go to church? How many of us are truly seeking to apply the biblical principles that are found therein? How many of us work long and hard hours to provide and protect our families and provide for them? How many of us will not hesitate to give our very lives for the ones we love? How many of us are almost shamefully ignorant of God's word? How many of us here know more about our sitcom? Anybody here got a favorite sitcom? How many of us know more about our sitcom than we do God's Word? How many of us know all of the stats on our favorite ball team? (laughs) Who won the national championship college? Southeastern Conference. You don't know? Georgia beat Alabama. You get my point though. How many of us are woefully ignorant of the spiritual truths that are found in this book we call the Bible? Did you know that a large number of cults, converts, come from nominal Christians who were not grounded in God's Word? Did you know that? One of the reasons the cults are gaining in numbers at such a rapid rate Today in America is because many professing Christians are ignorant when it comes to their knowledge of the Bible. Shocking. I challenge you to check out the stats. There's a precious note in verse 6 of the text. We find these words. Brought up in the truths of the faith and the good teaching that you are following, you have followed. If you study the life and ministry of Timothy, you'll find at an early age, godly principles were installed in his heart, instilled and installed. Are we installing those spiritual principles in our children and grandchildren? It is then Paul speaks of some of those things that can distract a minister. And I'll quickly move through these. Verse 7. Let me get there. Having nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, rather look at it, train yourself to be godly. Ever been witnessing somebody that tried to distract you? That ever happened to you? Has to me on numerous. I remember one fellow I was trying to talk to, and he kept asking me, Where did Cain get his wife? 
Oh, here's another good one I've gotten stuck with. Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, was Paul married? Some say yes. Some say there's evidence. I don't know. This is what I've learned. When someone tries to distract you and you're witnessing to them, bring them back to the truth. Don't let them move you away from it. So, verse 7, don't let them distract you. Verse 8, look at it again very quickly. For physical training has some value, but godliness has value for all things. Look at that. Go to... There's an exercise crazy this and third. There's nothing wrong with it. Go up to Mount Airy and several different places. Then Pilot Mountain. You can go work out till you just can't work out anymore. You may have all the muscles you can have. And you, you know what I wonder? I, I wonder what, what God sees when he sees a spiritual. You ever see his muscle do God do this, do this? And muscles pop out all over. You ever see that? I have seen Arnold Schwarzenegger. Remember him? He's an old guy now. <laughs> I don't know where the younger ones. Maybe the Hulk. Right? You think the Hulk's got muscles? Here's what I wonder. I wonder what God sees when he sees us spiritually. A puny weakling? Or does he see a spiritual powerhouse? Muscles. Developed through God's word and prayer and practical holiness and godly living. What does God see when he sees us as individuals standing before him? And then he comes to the heart of the matter, the most important part of the Christian life. I think Paul is telling us if you're going to pour out your life, if you're going to give your all, you're to do it. Look at verses 9 and 10 and I move towards closing. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this we labor and strive that we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all men and especially those of us who believe. Paul built his life and ministry around those words. The guiding principles of Paul's work and life. Christ is the Savior of all men. His blood can cover any sins, any sin. His sacrifice can save any sinner, but only those who who believe. I close with this. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul tells us, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? In the Old Testament, check into it. The trumpet would come out to announce the call for charge. Another call for retreat. There would be different calls on the trumpet. For different activities of the children of Israel. The changing of the seasons. Remember the Feast of the Trumpets? And Paul here refers back to that. If there's an unclear call on the trumpet, who knows what they're going to do? And if we don't know God's Word, if we don't know the spiritual truths that are in these pages and in these texts, how will we respond? What will we do? Got to close. I did not know I was going to just preach this long, so y'all just bear with me. But these folks know I just preach till I'm done. And when I'm done, I'm done. 2 Timothy 2.15. Boy, oh boy. 
Paul said to this young man, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. I'm talking about a good minister. Make sure you're handling God's word correctly. I really want to preach more, but I need to close. I wondered as I was on my way here, and I was sitting at my little desk this morning, what, what, how do I close it? And how can you support your minister? I think number one, you can support your minister by praying for him, honestly praying for him. Secondly, I wrote this down, encourage him. Sometimes the ministry can be tough, folks. <laughs> it can be tough. A call, a card, a, just some time with that person. Third, respect. Yeah. I think a minister who's willing to stand with God's word is worthy of respect. Do you? And fourthly, listening. One of the things that always impressed me was Simmons Grove. And when I was your pastor, I, I would often uh, make reference to that. There were always good listeners here. I don't think any of you ever really went to sleep while I was preaching. That I know of. See, see some folks are really good. <laughs> you know? You know, uh, one Sunday years ago, I had a guy come in and he's sitting there and he's got a pair of these glasses on. You've seen them where the eyes are open all the time. And he put them on and I'm standing in the pool and I almost lost it. I knew what he was telling me. A good minister will preach sound doctrine and he'll guard this church. A good minister will take his responsibilities seriously. I think you have one of those. Amen. I close. Do you know Christ as your Savior and Lord? I'm not, I'm not asking you if you know about Him. Do you have a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with Him? Have you talked to Him today? That's a key, isn't it? Are you as committed as you ought to be as a Christian? Boy, that's a gap, and most of us aren't. <laughs> that's a good time to rededicate. Perhaps God's knocking you hard about being a part of this congregation. You see, as we have our invitation, as I, do you want me to remain in the front, David? Uh, say that again. Thank you. Uh, folks, I'm very hard of hearing, and uh, so be mindful of that. That's one of the reasons I retired, because my hearing got to the point that it was just, it just, uh, just couldn't hear. Uh, but if you'd like to come pray, you come. If you want to come forward and take a man and say, Pastor Dale, I need to pray with me and speak loud enough so I can hear you. I'll be glad to pray with you. Just as God knocks on your heart.